0: Welcome to the Web3 Writer's Hour, the place where blockchain and writing intersect with writers and readers. The Web3 Writer's Hour is brought to you by Vagabond Magazine and published on Apple Podcasts through the Substack app. You can find all the episodes on Apple Podcasts or at vagabond.substack.com. Our theme music is composed by the amazingly talented Paolo Argento and brought to us courtesy of Pixabay. You can find the link in the show notes. First of all, Cryptoversal, how are you today, dude?
1: Doing good, CD. GM.
0: GM. Let's see. I've sent Edward the invite. We'll get him up here. Uh, What kind of stuff have you been seeing this week in Web3 in terms of writing uh, that's got you excited, Cryptoversal? Anything? Anything you've noticed or noted?
1: Uh, well, it's been it's been kind of a weekend away because we had uh, house guests over the weekend and we did our uh, Thanksgiving a little early, so um, it's it's kind of weird to have Thanksgiving leftovers and everyone is still everyone else is still anticipating Thanksgiving and, and it's it's uh, yeah turkey sandwiches all week. <laughs>
0: well you know what the leftovers are always the best part like my uh, my ex-wife is from morocco and when we immigrated from morocco to the u.s together i always told her i was like oh thanksgiving's great but it's the it's the turkey sandwiches leftovers that's my favorite part so i'm i'm envious and also looking forward to having some turkey sandwiches later in the week myself looks like we got edward here edward how are you
2: I'm good. Uh, you guys are reminding me that there is no Thanksgiving here in um, Australia. So there will be no turkey sandwiches for me. But it's probably good because I'm trying to reduce my, my meat consumption for the well-being of the planet. So, um, But I wish everybody else a happy Thanksgiving. And I'll try to remember to be thankful um, and grateful for everything that I have compared to everything many people in the world don't have um, in this uh, this week of holidays back in the U.S.
0: Well, it's good to be thankful, and Thanksgiving is wherever you are, and you choose to be thankful, of course, so you can have Thanksgiving. You don't have to have a turkey. You don't have to eat meat, and I applaud you, sir, for... uh, you know, wanting to reduce your meat consumption. It's something that I consider and think about real carnivore though. I I love eating meat. Um, so if I do decide to do it, I'll let you know, (laughs) Edward, you brought some amazing topics to the web three writers hour this week. Uh, you posted them in the chat that we have going on and I just saw it and I was like, man, this is it. So what do you got? What are you thinking?
2: Uh, let's see I guess I could start with the easy one. Um, has anybody else here read um, Snow Crash uh, which is a 1992 book that I'm listening to again on audiobook and it's uh, just reminded me how much um, the author Neil Stevenson basically predicted um, a great deal of the uh, the modern kind of web 2 web 3 even experience. Um, He coined the term the metaverse in that novel. Um, But he also talks a lot about um, the exploitation um, of uh, what he calls the biomass. So basically all of us um, by big media companies. And he sort of predicts the rise of um, uh, the web and how that comes about. Uh, But just curious if anybody else has read that book.
0: I read it back in probably 2004. I I was late to the party with Neil Stevenson, discovered him around 2003 and just read everything that he'd written up to that point as, as quickly as I could. So it's been a while, but OK, so it's, remind me, is Snow Crash the one where the girl has sort of like a tablet? Is that the one,
2: Edward, or is, was that a different one? No, that's that's The Diamond Age, which is probably my next one to re-listen okay. to. Um, but uh, but that is a really great novel as well. I think Reamed is actually a very fun novel that comes out a little bit later. Um, but Snow Crash uh, kind of starts off. It's, a, it's one of those really layered stories. Um, a lot of interesting characters. But one of the big themes is uh, the fact that information is a virus, that's transmitted by language um, and that uh, and then that, you know, kind of media can kind of create its own demand for itself and then fill that demand and then make more of it. Um, but it needs to kind of use, use people um, to do that. So those were two of the big kind of meta themes from it. Um, and then, you know, there's even like kind of cautionary tales about, Staying goggled into the metaverse too long, as opposed to living your life in reality, um, a few different, very interesting things.
0: I'm going to have to uh, revisit it, actually. But you're completely right. I mean, Neil Stevenson's completely right that media, you know, the medium is the message. Is I, I can't remember. Um, oh, jeez! As, as I get older, I become far less capable of accessing things in my brain anyway yeah (laughs) i'm with you but let's hear from other people has anybody else read snow crash what do you think of it if you uh want to come up on the stage i've sent out invites but we're happy to have you up here talking or you can also uh respond to the chat function here in
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I thought I read it, but I was looking at the the summary online and I, I think that's one of the ones I of his that I haven't read yet. So um, I'm embarrassed to have not read that one. I, I I'm definitely gonna put that toward the top of my list.
0: Well, you know what, that raises a good question. Why don't we do sort of like Edward's reading it now? I think we can we can probably all access it as an ebook or as an audio book or and maybe maybe we can you know, start the Web3 Writers Hour Reading Club. Snow Crash is a great first one for us all to read and discuss. What do you guys think?
2: Love
1: that idea.
0: Cool. do it. That's
2: another Thanks. one of your, your great ideas, man.
0: Hey, guys. Um, Tino and Daniel here. I was on The Room About Nothing earlier with the, with the snack man. Uh, from the Pizza dial. And And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Pizza Dow will buy a copy of Snow Crash and send it to you if you have Snow Crash. That's how much we love our book, the Pizza Dow. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, if you know who Snacks is, uh, shoot me a DM if you need a copy of Snow Crash. I'm just going to, i there was a little bit of wind in your response, Dylan, so I'm going to rephrase what I heard or restate it. Uh, so Snacks is the one of the founders of PizzaDow, and I think you're also a founder of Pizza Dow too, right, Dylan? But um, but Snacks... Yes, sir. I was there at the beginning. Snacks will send you a copy of Snow Crash if you haven't read it, is w- what you said, right? Yes, sir. I'm out here on the golf course, so apologies. It's just a windy day in a windy city, so uh, I probably won't be speaking much, but thanks for having me up. We're always glad to have you here. Um Yeah. So there you go, guys. Snacks loves it so much. He will buy and send you a copy if you haven't read Snow Crash. So that's the alpha from the Web3 Writer's Hour today. You want to read Snow Crash, here's your opportunity. I don't know what the details of that are, but reach out to Snacks, Uh, S-N-A-X. He's a crypto punk on crypto Twitter, so you should be able to find him. Maybe I'll post something by him up in the nest if somebody wants to take the mic for a second so I can drag my old ass around Twitter space.
2: Yeah, I guess I can take the mic and say that that, that idea um, of sharing books uh, in, the, in Web3 kind of ties into my next uh, thought, which was, um, how do we actually go about creating a Web3 library? Uh, so I have some, uh, a real-world publishing project that I'll hopefully you know, get the final draft out in December, and then I'll have a little bit more free time. Um, and I'm being trying to be a lot more cautious about what I do at that time. Uh, I had a, a article that I wrote for um, T2 World uh, in November. Um, however, one of the things that I think I might look at is, uh, you know, people have talked about a, a library in Web3, and, and usually they've done it from a profit motive um, is what I've seen, um, probably since the, the early days of the bear or the bull market. Um, but what would it be like to actually take what is available in terms of writing in Web3 and put it in some sort of an accessible format um, that you don't need uh, to buy. You can check out a book. Um, the good thing about the internet is that it's sort of limitless, and to use blockchain, you know, what does that look like? Or what if you did it even without using blockchain? So curious if anybody has thoughts on that. Is it a useful place to put, you know, 1% of 10% of someone's time? Does someone already think they're doing it? Um, do they see any technical or ethical or issues around it? Would love to hear your thoughts.
0: So when you talk about that, Edward, are you talking about um, uh, like a, a, a library of blockchain books, of books put on the blockchain that anybody can access? Or are you talking about a physical library? Um, can, can you go into more details about how that might look?
2: Yeah. And I think, um, again, I apologize if anybody finds this to be triggering, but um, I think I own most of um, the, at least the early you know, sort of books on the blockchain. Um, and I can just imagine that if I owned books in real life, um, what I could do with them is obviously I keep them in, in my house and read them myself when I felt like it. Um, but what people often did was they, even if they kept them in their house, they put them in a library. And then if you went to some rich person's house, you might go to their library. And while you had your brandy and cigar, um, you could read all their books. Uh, And you didn't have to buy the book yourself. You just go to the rich guy's house and read it. Um, And obviously that was limited. You had to be friends with the rich guy or girl. And then we had public libraries where basically they, they did the same thing. Every city purchased, you know, one copy of Pride and Prejudice and stuck it in their library and, and kind of made a, an orderly arrangement um, using the Desi-Dulma system. And then anybody could basically go in and um, could read the book. Uh, and if they wanted to take it out and do something with it, they, they could borrow it. Um, but all of this, none of this really required a profit motive and didn't require the person doing the reading to be rich or to be able to afford the book themselves. So one question is like, what if I you know just did that with the books that I already own? Um, and went about acquiring all the very subtle titles. Um, what would that look like? And would there be people who's like, oh, you're undercutting the market because now people can read these books? Because very often you can actually read them just by going to the you know OpenSea or wherever they're hosted. Some places have have um, token-gated the content, I guess. But what are people's thoughts on that? Is that something we should have access um, on a, a free and equal basis, to all the knowledge that has been assembled on Web3 so far?
0: I'd sure love to see
3: it. Um, Um, Hey, guys. uh, Let me just chime in for a bit. Uh, So the idea of a library is very interesting. I've always wanted to see... uh, Okay. Like, in high school, I spent most of my time in in the library, so to college. So it kind of hits more home uh, for me Who. You know, like on top of being a you know being amongst the guys as a writer, uh, I think there's one advantage that any Web three like library would have over your every other day, Uh, you know, library. Like, ideally, imagine if uh, you wanted to start a library now, and maybe this can you can pick and choose whatever is like uh, of help from from all this. Um, you would have to like go yourself and purchase all those books and maybe rely on like publishing houses to like bring all those books. But what if all those books were owned by a community? You know, like if let's say, for example, if you did a 10k B, each PFP represented a book in that library and you would go out and people would pick all those books and you would put them in the library. And then all the fees that would be generated from physical, uh, you know, like people who go there physically and read, and all the, you know, uh, revenue collected for that can like be like revenue share for the holders. Cause ideally, I um, mean, it was the PFPs that made the whole thing happen. There's that angle. And then there's also like uh, immortalizing great literature like if said library had a community of writers and maybe they wanted to immortalize one of their writers as perhaps like a stepping stone, a huge milestone uh, they could inscribe their manuscript on perhaps Bitcoin maybe on a rare Satoshi or something. So there is uh, the question of uh, outsourcing books, uh, through the community, and there's revenue share through whatever they get from the library, and then they would be, like, immortalizing uh, books and authors through inscriptions on the blockchain. Uh, I don't know what you think about that.
0: I love that, Ephraim. Um, I love the idea of books almost having to be selected by the community in order to be inscribed on rare satoshis like those rare satoshis being saved for books that the community actually um actually values more and for those who don't know uh so bitcoin has really evolved in the past year uh, this year with the the ordinals and inscriptions and what has emerged is that there's some some there's I think it's 10 million Satoshis in each Bitcoin. I could be wrong about that. But I think it's 10 million Satoshis in each Bitcoin. And certain Satoshis have more value than others. Like they're all, you know, I think there's a 1000 Satoshis to a dollar something, something like that at this point. But some of those Satoshis actually are much more rare because of the way that they fell in the block space. And so those Satoshis can be marked out and saved and separated and there's actually there's grown a market around that so what a cool idea to like books that are cherished by the community you know huckleberry finn or things that you just want to make sure are censorship resistant to be taking those and inscribing them on rare satoshis and putting them in sort of you know a place of honor in the library and that's one of the things with bitcoin and inscriptions that's so exciting is that that Bitcoin suddenly has become much more than just a store of value. It's become a place that we can store knowledge as well. So really excited about what you said there, Ephraim and Edward. I I love this idea. And I will say when Kindle came out, there was all these like free public domain books that like were suddenly listed on Kindle. And I went through and I lived in Morocco at the time and I just went through and I, 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 saved every book that i could to my kindle you know and especially you know the classics and things like that i like created my own library so that i would because finding english language books is not always easy in other places and before the kindle before the advent of digital books was really um as widespread as it is today uh, i used to go on these treasure hunts for books so that was exciting and to do that on the blockchain, what an exciting idea that is, Edward. And and I know it's not a new idea, and we've seen all these profit motives come and say they were going to do it and then not do it. But yeah, I I'll shut up now.
2: It's okay. So uh, I don't want to um monopolize the conversation too much with that. Ephraim, thanks for some some really great thoughts on that. Uh, one of the things I you know said is you know readers um, by um, design maybe can be sometimes a bit introverted. And, you know, electronics makes that perhaps even easier. One of the things at the library and, and Ephraim, like yourself, um, most of my early reading was done in the library. I grew up a very poor child. But the one thing I had access to and the one thing that I think really you know, changed the direction of my life was that I was um, taken to the library once a week and I was allowed to check out as many books as I wanted. And I get to spend the afternoon there just, just reading everything. Um, but part of it is, is being um, in a sort of a physical space or in the metaverse, a non physical space. So I think of Litz-Litadel, and I wonder, hmm, what if I could get them to build me a library wing? And then um, some books, maybe you can, you interact, and maybe that's where you go to interact with the books. Um, and then the, the, the avatars that you see wandering around in the library, well, guess what? You know they are fellow readers and writers, um, mostly. You'll see some, some odd ones, I imagine, too. Uh, and maybe those, maybe it becomes a way that you connect with people there. Uh, so that was just a thought. And, and we can come back to this, this later, perhaps, um, well,
0: but wait, before, we, before was... we leave, before we leave that Edward, I want to, um, actually talk about encountering the librarian. I mean, like, because that's such a huge, it's, a, it's almost like a trope within dystopian fiction is encountering the AI librarian who actually has all the access. And now we have the ability to, you know, to, well, sort of, if, if copyright infringement isn't involved, but we have the ability to have all of these books, um, an AI model trained with all of these books so that they can access all of the information that's been recorded in them. And in your Littadel library section, it would be so cool to encounter something like one of the Parallel avatars. These are, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Parallel has launched a game that is it's called parallel colony they they released avatars and now the avatars are going to be non-player character ais basically playing the game without (laughs) without care without people playing it so i'm picturing the librarian as this sort of you know non-player character with all of the ai information of the books in your library it's it's just such a cool vision and I, i don't want to monopolize the conversation either
2: well no it's uh Two things that I just that occurred to me. Um, one, again, just ironic perhaps that in Snow Crash, one of the kind of the writing methods that that's um, he uses is to take a very complex thought that he wants to have about like religion and language, and give it to you in the form of a story, but as a story within the story, where the one of the main characters is in fact given access to this massive electronic library that comes with an AI librarian. And the AI librarian gives him all this information about the ancient Sumerian language and culture and just in the form of answering, like, he asks a simple question and the librarian's answer gets more and more complex and they end up talking about glossolalia and speaking in tongues in early Christianity and what that has to do with social media in the um, far distant future. So that idea of an AI librarian um, is, in fact, really interesting. The other really interesting thing I thought when you mentioned um, that someone is using AI to power NPCs in games, I was like, wow, I have not thought of that as a use for AI. But anybody who's played the big um, online role-playing games, one of the things that can get a little boring at some point is that once you sort of run through a quest, like, you know where the, the person who gives you the quest is, and, and every time they give you the same spiel, if you go ask them for the quest, um, and it can get a bit monotonous, but now I'm thinking, huh, what if the lady in the village who's supposed to ask you to go rescue her husband um, is not always where she is, and you actually have to go search for her, and maybe depending on what sort of character you show up as, she has a completely different reaction to you. Like, she doesn't like male characters, and um, she uh, she's like suspicious of, of people who are a thief or a rogue. Um, that would be really interesting. And I guess we now have the technology to do that. It'll be really interesting to see if some of the, the games actually integrate things like that.
0: And, you know, I didn't make this connection until you just said the lady who's supposed to tell you this, but Westworld, man, that's, and th- that's what Parallel is building. <laughs> they're building like a metaverse Westworld where the characters, the NPCs, don't actually know that they're NPCs wild wild times we're living in and so exciting
2: so quick pivot um has anybody seen the open ai meltdown and does anyone think that that's going to have immediate and or negative impacts for many of the people who are using much of the i mean my wife's a huge um chat gbt user um and i think it's i think believe that's the one that's integrated with canva and some other platforms as well um but any thoughts on that? Do you think that that company is going to just keep trundling along despite its its leadership um, issues right now, or do you think it's going to get eaten by Microsoft? And, and what happens when Microsoft eats um the supposedly open AI platform? Can
1: okay. can you can you explain the whole unfolding drama of that? Because I've I've seen a couple of headlines and it looks like a complete meltdown. But I
2: so the again I this is not my forte, and I just happened to be um, up in the middle of the night and. Uh, Um, glanced at Twitter where I probably shouldn't have been. But it appears that uh, the OpenAI um, CEO was essentially kind of fired by a board of directors. Um, Boards of directors are sort of strange things. Uh, And essentially, he was going to say, okay, I accept being fired and I'm just going to go work for Microsoft. And basically, it looks like 700 out of 770 of his people we're basically like, well, if you're going, we're going with you, and that was kind of where it stood um, as of, I guess, five or ten hours ago. So, not sure what's developed. Haven't really looked into it, but but just the idea that that OpenAI could go away as a company or have to start from like if all their if all their developers just left tomorrow, which is basically what they said they're going to do, um, and their leadership team, um, several of them left tomorrow. Like what? What does that look like for the space, and what does that do to the the things they have developed, the apps, and all the um, the systems?
0: Was it actually seven hundred and seventy-seven um, employees, Edward? Because that's a really weird esoteric number to have.
2: No, I think I think it was 770, 770 was the number I saw, and of them, about seven hundred and fifteen, I think, were going across, and there were about seven sixty or seventy who had not yet signed their manifesto to leave if the boss left.
0: Wow. I mean, because the story I saw this morning on CNBC, which just adds weirdness to it, is the uh, I posted this in the baldism discord this morning, if any of you guys are in there. But um, the the chief scientist for OpenAI, for ChatGPT, he's been like doing weird religious oriented stuff with uh, with AGI that um, and basically leading people in weird sort of semi-religious chants. He built an effigy and burned it as an evil AI, Um, all kinds of strange stuff. So 777, uh, that was just a little bit, a little bit right outside the norm. I want to add a few details to, um, to what you said. And that's that, yeah. So Sam Altman, uh, was basically fired by the board with, with all kinds of weird reasons attached to it. They, they said he wasn't being as forthright and forthcoming as they wanted him to be about uh, all kinds of things, which led people to speculate that maybe he'd been understating the dangers of, of, you know, creating a, 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 advanced AI to them anyway. So they, they forced him out. The president, Greg Brockman, he followed him and went with him. they, Nobody knew what they were going to do through the weekend, but even before markets opened, Satya Nadella, the chairman of Microsoft, hired Sam Altman as the CEO of Microsoft's new AI division. Greg Brockman came with him. All those other employees seem to be following. But one of the big statements that Altman made today, and actually yesterday, was that they are completely focused on making sure that uh, open AIs... Platform, chat GPT, everything continues to function, continues to work well, and continues to, to get new developments. But the the strange thing about all that is is Microsoft having its own AI organization sort of like maybe eliminates the need for them to have open AI. But they do own 51% of it. They're their largest investor. So probably not going to go anywhere, in my opinion.
2: All very interesting stuff, um, but yeah, the uh, interesting to me as well because I'm thinking that for the next next um, edition of arts and poetry, I may might make an AI poetry issue, um, which will definitely rub lots of people the wrong way. But will be meant as a challenge, actually, to my fellow writers and to my fellow AI writers, perhaps, um, to see what the, um, the the bounds and limitations. Um, when the when the classroom assignment is not don't use ai for the project but it's actually to um to work to, to curate um the best of ai poetry um to incur or prompt the best of ai poetry but that's neither here nor there i suppose um so i do have just a couple more topics and um they both basically tie in but uh curious uh, Cryptoversa or cd um do you have anything that that you
0: uh, really want to talk about this morning Well, personally, I've been really head down. I'm participating in NanoRiMo again. And this year, I'm doing a, a much more personal story than I've ever written, really, in terms of this length. Um, so it goes in my family history and um, some of my own personal history, which I, I didn't really expect when I started writing it. So I've been head down in that. And that's been really kind of consuming all of my bandwidth. But Obviously, not all of it. I still, I still get out there and do spaces, and and love to like check out the news and what's going on. But I do think that going back to the AI thing, I think that 2023 is going to go down as a pivotal year that everything changed. I mean, the the advent of AI. This is this was very clearly the year that it happened, and people are never going to forget this year. It's going to go down in history as like the you know the the year that the internet launched things like that. Um, CryptoVersal, so what about you?
1: Well, I think this is a year that's going to go down in history for more than one reason. And what, what I've been head down in is uh, the American Justice Project, where I'm decentralizing some of the legal filings on um, top legal cases. And one that came out uh, over the weekend or or, or, or late last week was a Colorado case um, on the Fourteenth Amendment constitutional law, uh, the disqualification clause, uh, basically asking the question: you know, this this um, clause and this amendment from the from the Civil War era, from the from the post Civil War era, saying that you know, if you if if you're a public official and you engage in in insurrection against the United States, um, you should not be allowed, or you you are not allowed under the Constitution to hold public office again. Um, but a lot of, uh, in, in terms of constitutional law, we haven't had that come up a lot. And, and, and the details be adjudicated as to what is a public office? What is an insurrection? What does it mean to engage in an insurrection? Um, so we're seeing a flurry of cases uh, starting at the state level and working their way up definitely to the Supreme Court Um, It's going to be interesting to see which one gets there the fastest. This Colorado case seems to be on a, on a fast track. Um, And, and I, I was just pouring through this 103 page final order. Um, And then this morning paging through the, 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 the appeals that have already been filed um, on both sides Um, and then putting, putting the um, final order onto the blockchain and making it available as part of the project Um, and, and, probably going to do the same with the appeals and all the way up uh, as far as this one goes. Um, but it's, it's historic times, um, perhaps not in, in the best way that you'd want to see. Um, but wherever you stand on the issue, it's, it's, it's an important issue of the day. And um, I think it's something that we should all be aware of.
0: I don't want to trigger anybody with politics, but are they going to, I mean, it, it looks like they're going to let him run for president again. It doesn't look like anybody's going to stop him, right? Well, I mean, he can run. Um,
1: the issue is, can he, Can he? under the Constitution, is he allowed to serve um, as president if, if he engaged in an insurrection? And did he engage in an insurrection? What did what he did? qualify as engaging if he didn't actually personally go down to the Capitol building with the rioters? And was it actually an insurrection under the Constitution, or was it a riot or an attack or just a bunch of people getting together and expressing their opinions? How much of it was or was not protected by the First Amendment? Um, is there a conflict between the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and the First Amendment where where, where that gives you the right to speak and prohibits the government from saying that you can't speak about certain things and you can't, you know, if, if you want to say that an election, you, you feel it's fraudulent, um, you can say that um, and the government can't come in and, and shut you down and punish you for your speech. Uh, and so you have, a, you have a conflict between these two amendments and, and the, the courts are going to have to look at that.
0: God, that is so wild. You know, I mean, okay, my personal opinion, which I'm not a lawyer, um, unlike some of you guys out there, I'm just a, a citizen, but I feel like Trump was very smart about his, his ways that he did that, and he's he's got enough distance built in there between himself and the actual illegal things that happened, uh, as opposed to all the other illegal things that he actually engaged in, but just in terms of the January 6th stuff that I, I don't think there's any way that they could make something stick on him like that. And, and I think that if he did, if they allow him to run and he wins and then they go, Oh, you can't serve. Well, that's just a whole different, then we're talking probably a real insurrection. Does that, does that ring true with you? Cryptoversal? Or am I just completely off base on that stuff?
1: You know, it, it's, this there's a lot to it. There's, you know, if, if, uh, the court decides that he can't run or he can't serve. Yeah, we, we we might you know, or or that he can run and can serve, and and he actually does get reelected. Either way, um, we might see people take to the streets. What the what this Colorado court decided, uh, the, their their final order that came down last week was, you know, yes, this was an insurrection. Yes, he did engage in this insurrection. Uh, however, under the under the this court's interpretation of Section 3, um, the presidency is the, is, is the one office, or maybe the presidency and the vice presidency are the, are the two offices uh, where you can actually get away with that um, because their oath of office is a little different from the standard oath, oath of office uh, applied to the rest of the, of the government. Um, and those, those roles are not specifically enumerated in the constitu- in, in the amendment. Um, so the question is, you know, does can you know if you were running for Senate, um, very easy to say, no, you know, you, you know if, if you engage in an insurrection and, and you've, you're as a as a public official, you can't run for Senate, but maybe you can run for president, um, which seems a little off to a lot of people, and, and maybe that's not, you know, because because it's it's why would the presidency be different from? Um, If you engage in insurrection as a senator or as a representative or as a governor uh, or, you know, any any position in, you know, even even as a military officer, uh, you swear an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States. uh, And if you violate that oath, uh, that's where where the amendment kicks in.
0: What a freaking mess! Um, okay, I don't want to get too far off the rails. I would love to talk about that stuff for for hours, um, and I'm sure we would all have some some very heated opinions. Although, who knows? Maybe we're all maybe we're all lined up on the same same very uh, obvious seeming side. But let's get back to Web three writing and Web three writers hour. Um, so. Does anybody out there have something that they would like to read? We've been doing that uh, the past couple of times. Like, give, Give people in the audience or among ourselves three, four, five minutes if you want to read something. If you do, we'd love to have you read it. We'd love to have you share. All right. Well, just know that the opportunity is there. And... This is a conversation. We want to hear from you. Oh, Ephraim, we got you. Yeah, please.
3: Uh, Hey, guys. Uh, First, before I read this piece, um, I I want to tell you guys a story. Uh, It's not that long. The other day I was uh, coming from, well, a day and... Me and the girl were like just walking on the street, and another girl passed us by. And I'm really sorry, but I took notice of the of the second one. There's something peculiar about her, and I just didn't know what it was. And my date noticed <laughs> noticed this, and because it's not something uh, that normally happens, I asked her for permission to say hi to the the second girl. And she was like, yeah, sure. Uh, by this point, the said girl had like walked a few paces ahead. So I kind of had to uh, like run. Okay, not really run. She wasn't that far off. And I was like, hey, hi, how are you? What's your name and stuff? And the, the weirdest thing is, uh, is that her name ended up being Mona Lisa, uh, her legal name. I was like, that okay uh so one day i took her up. i took mona lisa out on a date because i wanted to know her and i get to see what she's about and she turned out to be an amazing human being so her birthday is actually on thursday 24th 24th i think thursday or friday 24th uh, is her birthday and i wrote her a poem <laughs> Of course. Uh, And and then I inscribed it on Bitcoin. I was going to give it to her uh, as a present. But when you said that, I was like, hey, let me just read it for you guys.
0: Okay, wait, before you read, Ephraim, I want to say when you first started describing it, I thought you were describing Uh the meme where the guy's walking with the girl and turns and looks at the other girl. And I thought you were going to tell us a joke, but man, you are a baller, dude! I can't believe you got away with that. Um, but we do want to hear the poem and and
3: wish a happy birthday to Mama Lisa, of course. That is, I had not seen that. That is so funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely let me read this first because I'm getting confused now. <laughs> uh, so here's the piece. Uh, it's. It... Okay. Okay. This one lingering question starts with me every dawn. Darling, are you really gone? Shall I hold these the immaculate laughs you gave only in deep, wide longing? Shall we no longer be? You'd have my words long before I said. You'd have my heart if everyone contested. Yet I'm grappling onto the thought of hope, this still gray life saved from its hugging mope. Golden sunset haze over a day of great gray storm clouds and rain, great yearning in vain, great fat thunder and white scar- sky scars quick to heal. But what of mine? The poetry is calling. I wish it was you. The words are rushing back. And my dusty drafts are being fetched from their once-holding shadows. Will I love ever know such salvation? Morning stars start to shine, and thawing can be felt. Healing from the gnawing ache of human isolation is forthcoming. But what of you, and what of us? In your seen and felt absence, I had to know. Why I'd ever again bother to write, or so? You were the good gift after this drive, the promised land and hopeful life, but the gone is all I have left of you, an undying hope, fervent, wordless prayers, the spaces you'd fill, a shadow soul, and its brilliant bright white heart. I'll always be looking for you, and my poetry will speak of us. Florence. Mona Lisa. There it is.
0: There it is. Bravo. Bravo. Really? Thank you so much for sharing that. That, my friends, that is what Web3 writing is all about. And it's inscribed on Bitcoin. It's love forever. Right there. Uh Uh-oh, you're in it now, Ephraim. Now you're stuck. (laughs)
3: I know, right? Man, it's a lifelong commitment, this one. I'll never hear the end of it.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad that you shared it. But really, I just can't get over the fact I have a daughter. I always thought I had to watch out for drummers. Now I know i got to watch out for drummers and poets. So thanks for making that clear.
3: (laughs) You (laughs) do.
2: Ever, I'll just say um, I've written a few poems to a few women in my life, Um, Keep the Dream Alive. Uh, You just never know. Uh, My wife, I had known for about 10 years and and always liked her. I intended to ask her out in in Kenya, actually, um, back in... 2020, the spring of 2020, and it was right before the president put out his order saying all foreigners had to leave um, due to COVID. So the moment did not end up being right. But on our drive, uh, rushing back to the airport, uh, she told me about the fact that um, her father in law had um, also um, kind of been in love with her mother for about uh, a decade. and had they had both gone through a, a couple of spouses and uh, at one point when they were free, he finally asked her out and, and she finally said yes, so that gave me hope. And then uh, a few years later, um, it's all worked out pretty well. So uh, keep the dream alive, brother and uh, and um, if nothing else, um, this is this woman has and and you have brought beautiful poetry into the world together and that's not every couple thing something every couple can say
3: yeah um thank you thank you guys it really is it it's just cool that I, we get to share all this stuff actually um this is even more for the story as a writer i think i think it was my responsibility to just you know just make that happen um i couldn't think of anything else i'm half thinking of just finding a friend who knows how to paint getting a portrait of this lady and just doing another one, and and. And who knows, we might build that library after all. But um, I, I really did feel like uh, it was something worth doing. And yeah, we did it. And we, we continue. We find these stories in every place that we go to. Well, I, for one,
0: am inspired I'm going to go out, I'm going to look for love, and I'm going to try to buy, write poetry. No, I'm not going to go out and look for love, but I might try writing some poetry later, maybe maybe in a week or two um, when I finish this book. So, Edward, you had a couple more topics that you brought. I think we should talk about those while we still got, like, 15 minutes here. And Authored Style, we'd love to have you up if you want to come join us up on the stage, too. Yeah, so um,
2: the one that I guess I would... Uh... Touch on next, it, and this is for a, 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 a small group. I can use you guys as a focus group for it. Um, so one of the thoughts is uh, the idea that, that social media, really very much like capitalism, um, exploits uh, the common person. So um, pretty much all of us give our um, attention, and they talk about—I remember when I was um, a kid, you know, my mom would always say, pay attention— um, which was kind of prescient because um, attention is really one of the scarcest assets you have because it's linked to time. Um, for example, there's there's a million books in the world. You can't read all of them. So which ones you choose to read uh, that and and also uh, same thing with Netflix movies or shows on YouTube or music. There's just more content in the world than any human could ever, um, even if they spent all their attention, um, than they could ever consume. Um, And in fact, uh, what we have in the social media age is a great deal of content being created um, that may or may not actually be very good for you. I actually heard some very interesting stuff about uh, the fact that uh, we're much more likely to react and spread the virus of of negative information than of positive information. Um, uh, But we're certainly not very likely to actually spread interesting or true or scientific information uh, you might uh, share a kitten photo with three of your friends you'll probably share an angry post about whichever politician you like or don't like um, with 10 of your friends um, but you're much less likely to share uh, great writing or great thinking um, because those just aren't resonant with certain you know kind of brain centers uh, but this idea that that however we're processing social media we're basically giving our attention away for free. Um when it's not, it's actually time and extremely valuable. Uh, but also, the uh, you know, every time that I post a tweet, um, Elon Musk is monetizing my intellectual property and I get nothing for it. And the same is true, you know, if I post a picture on Instagram. I guess Zuck is doing the same thing. Uh so the question is like, why is that the case? Because in Web 2, we we let a couple of big corporations sort of corner the market on some utility. Um, pretty simple utility software, the ability to, you know, keep a scrolling, um, scrolling set of, of SMS messages or scrolling set of pictures, you know, uh, kind of linked up. And while I think that in web three, we could and should do better, uh, The other question is, like, what would I want to do, and how could I fix this um, to some extent for myself, uh, given the tools we have? So I have a thought about it, but just curious if anybody else has felt this way, if you think that I'm way off base, or uh, do you think that, in fact, the the proletariat of social media is now being exploited by the capitalists at the top, and that something's got to give?
0: I think you know how I feel about this, Edward. I, I totally agree with you. I was an early blogger. I was an early adopter of social media. And the thing that I loved about blogging was the fact that we owned our content and we were, um, we were building community with it. And then social media came along and suddenly we didn't own our content anymore. And the community that we built was no longer ours to take with us or to communicate with it even. So I'm, I'm completely with you.
1: And I'm there as well. Social media, um, certainly web two social media is broken. Um, The the blogging system was, you know, directing people's eyeballs and views to pages that were owned by the content creators and that was taken away. And now the eyeballs and views are are going to platforms that are owned by some of the richest, uh, the wealthiest uh, elite people in the world uh, or those who can, come in and say, hey, I'm the richest man in the world. I would like to buy the the public square and change all the rules. Um, And if the public square is worth $44 billion or or purported to at one point be worth $44 billion, um, some portion of that um, should have gone to the content creators who provide all of the content that makes that value. Um, and it, it, it
2: really, it really didn't. So I can just really quickly sketch out my idea and um, for the, the long-term solution, uh, which I don't have either the time or technical expertise to develop now, but may become one of my long-term, you know, passion projects, sort of. I've been listening to um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's new book, Be Useful. And he talks about, you know, it, it doesn't take any more energy to have a, a big vision than a small vision. Um but very much like you said, you know, if if content is created and consumed, uh, then, you know, the, the person with a, a million followers who tends to post really viral stuff, obviously they're going to um, get a lot of attention. And that's good, uh, whatever. Uh, and if they get, you know, a thousand likes and I get one like, uh, they should make a thousand times more of whatever the cultural currency is than I should. Um, but I should also get my one token for the one like that I created, the tiny bit of create, um, attention that I created with my you know five followers and my one cat picture. Um, so that would kind of be the idea is that we now the, the technological solution um, does exist to either obviously um, exploit people. Um, uh, make a lot of money, but make it for a corporation or make it for a few people at the top. Or, you know, the blockchain would allow us to, um, you know, let again, let's say Ephraim had a, a poem that got a thousand likes and I got a had a cat picture that got, you know, one like. Um, at the end of the day, if the organization that whole day made X amount of revenue and that revenue could come from donations in the Wikipedia model or it could come from, you know, ads in um, that model. I don't like subscriptions because that makes it difficult uh, for some people around the world. Again, Ideally the content is is pretty free to access um, But yeah, so Ephraim would get you know1,000 uh, you know minus the operating costs of, of running the servers and stuff and I would get one and, and everybody else who had their proportional bit. Um, and blockchain allows us to make those micropayments pretty easily. Uh, that's one of the things I see possible. Obviously back in the the old days, you know Google couldn't send you it couldn't afford to send you a check for .001 cent. Um, even to do an ach transaction with a normal bank especially if you're um, overseas uh, but again what is overseas you know this is the globe and this is the internet so we shouldn't really have an overseas so to me blockchain is a logical answer then the question becomes you know which blockchain um but I think that those are very doable technical solutions and I think that um, uh, that would be a long-term project then I have a, a shorter term kind of vision for you know how I can fix it for myself um but I'd like to hear what people think about kind of that, that long-term potential, essentially just a, you know, um, uh, sharing proportional shares. Every, everybody is a shareholder in the business, and if the business makes um, a dollar, everybody gets their proportional share of whatever they did to um, generate the attention that made that dollar. Yeah,
3: um in for a bit. I think this would be very effective, especially for uh, communities. Uh, let me make a slide. Um, look at Hillsong. I you know there's been a Christian space, but Hillsong is more than a band. They're like a, a community, a global community, even. And just inside their community, um, imagine how they share, you know, practice songs, new songs, come together, you know, just being a community, even that is content. I think normally when we talk about content, it's normally public-facing content, but even inward facing content, content inside a, 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 you know, a football team, uh fan base, content that is supposed to be created for a predetermined community that you're already a part of. Um is is something that can be used to not only build awareness of said community, like if Hillsong wanted to show us the what what happened, you know, like through the practice sessions and stuff, or just how the community vibe through all the events and stuff. Uh we each member of the community of the Hillsong community who posts can get something for showcasing their unique story. Uh, or And the, it, it would also even entice people from outside the community to join. Uh, and now members of the Hillsong or the general community, would it would be upon them now to become ambassadors, quote-unquote, uh, to create more content that brings in more people. And then you would have your KPIs um, them, uh coming into the equation and that's where now edward's point of uh you getting something for the attention you create uh comes into play and i think uh community driven uh you know content is is also something uh interesting uh perhaps
2: yeah a very interesting concept there uh I guess my and so my final question for the the audience is um, with regards to Twitter specifically. I've considered um, just kind of taking myself out of the the mainstream of Twitter, um, but simply uh, activating the subscription option, um, and then essentially I'll only interact with um, I'll post uh, any content that I think is um, is actual IP and actually something that is of value in the subscription um, kind of thread and I'll interact with people on DMs. I'll uh, continue to, to work in spaces, um, probably expand hopefully that the spaces um, next year and uh, continue my DM groups for, for poetry and other things, um, but really just get out of the main timeline um, and uh, say, listen, I know there'll be a lot fewer people. Because one of the things I've noticed is, you know, again, even though I, in theory, have... Ten thousand followers and, and follow ten thousand people. I actually see um, a lot of promoted content from people I don't follow and don't really want to hear about. Um, and I uh, I know my content is not being shown, so it's being censored essentially. So better to have uh, ten or twenty people who actually um, are willing to pay a dollar or two dollars a month um, to actually see what I um, write about that are the things I'm passionate about. than continue um, throwing my. Uh, my pearls before swine but curious what people think of that as a potential um short term uh, way to address the you know the fact that i can i can no longer really justify um given that uh you know Elon's positions are so strange and that uh and that essentially it's it's my my free work that is helping to empower him um doing that and if you think it's a legitimate thing to do as a short term fix um what do you think the um the right price range is i think twitter now lets you do from like one dollar to, to twenty dollars a month um i'm leaning toward the, the very bottom of the end because it's much less about the money than it is the principle but just curious what uh, what you guys think about
0: that i think you're on the right track edward um you know i've so personally i've started using substack a lot more um uh, we moved the BMGM show vagabond magazine good morning we moved that Um, we're going to come back to twitter next week for some technical reasons but we've moved it to our discord and i was pretty excited about discord early on because i felt like this was stepping out of the realm of controlled media I i don't know how effective it's been but oh interestingly snacks who we talked about earlier i went to look for him on twitter i couldn't find him and i think that he's one of those people one of those great people that like has a lot to offer who actually left twitter and there's so much of that i mean i essentially publish content elsewhere and then i share it on twitter and that's kind of all i'm using twitter for these days now i do want to share one thing that's uh, tangentially connected and that's that i recently inadvertently did a hack on facebook that drastically improved my timeline What I did was I just got frustrated with Facebook. I stopped going there and sharing things. I stopped interacting with political posts. And I just, when I would check in, I would just go through and just like and reshare the things that I thought were funny or the things that were, you know, like the Heinlein Society posts a lot of like sort of funny, sort of intellectual sci-fi stuff, stuff from Kim Stanley Robinson. So I started resharing and liking that stuff and funny things and kittens and did this for about six or seven months. And now when I go to Facebook, They don't show the algorithm says, oh, he doesn't interact with this kind of stuff. So Facebook doesn't show me that kind of stuff anymore. Now all it shows me are funny kitten things and funny cat things and jokes and Heinlein society and pseudo, you know, pseudo-intellectual, like funny posts. So Facebook is a much nicer place once I started training the algorithm to work in my favor. So I wonder if we could do something like that with Twitter as well. But I love your your idea of using the subscription in your favor. And I think doing it on the bottom end, I think that's the way. I would, I would want to do it as well. So I applaud your efforts on it. I, I think all we can do is essentially, you know, we we've got to we're sort of trapped. We have to sort of use Twitter, but at the same time, it, it does suck to be sort of paying Elon, paying the richest man in the world to be such a dick.
2: Truer words never spoken. Except I think it's about time for the most true words, uh, which are our closing ones. Right, CD?
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. I took us right to the end. Okay, uh, we will do it. And you know what? Let's focus on the positive. So I live here in Hawaii. Hawaii's a beautiful place. If you ever get the chance to come and visit, you should. But even if you don't get the chance to come and visit, diving into the concepts. These are tiny islands in the middle of the Pacific, but everybody knows this word aloha. And the reason why is because it might be the most important word in the world. It means hello. It means goodbye. It means I share the same breath with you. And it means love. So we like to close out the Web3 Writers Hour by just everyone who's on stage opening up your mics at the count of three. We'll all just say aloha together. So one, two, three. Aloha. aloha. <laughs>